This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? Learn more about Wisconsin's cheese-making history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meat and 3, we celebrate good news in the food world, from record-setting butter sculptures to the latest discoveries in crop cultivation. I think it was back in 2015. It was 2,370 pounds, and it was a Paris landscape. And so that became the Guinness World Record butter sculpture. We don't understand everything about the world. So plant breeding also lets us work with all the unknown maybe discovered along the way. And we hear from the beloved chef and disaster relief organizer, Jose Andres. Well, World Central Kitchen, we're an organization that we like to be the first ones on the ground. And more often than not, we are the last ones on the ground. Tune in to Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, and welcome to Why Food Podcast. I'm your co-host, Valerie Lomas. Um, our co-host, Ethan Fresh, he is actually in Kabul, Afghanistan right now, sourcing spices for his uh, spice company, Burlap and Barrel. So you can uh, check out his adventures over on Instagram. So today is a really cool day because it's actually the 100th episode of Why Food. Um, I think it's like my 10th episode, but it's pretty awesome that this podcast has been around for that long. Um, it was created by Patrick McAndrew, and there have been a couple of different um, hosts and co-hosts over the years. And I just want to give a shout out also to Jenny Dorsey, who's a phenomenal chef and food writer and just all around like badass girl. And she, um, she co-hosted this show up until this summer, and I actually... Um, am taking her spot for these few months. So um, yeah, so to celebrate today, we have kind of a super sized episode. So we actually have two guests today. And I guess it's lawyer day, because uh, we're all women, and we're all former lawyers. I think, um, I guess some of us might even consider ourselves still lawyers. I know I do. Everyone else is shaking their heads no. So uh, I just want to welcome our guest today. Uh, we've got Nisha Vora, who is a cookbook author. She um, is a social media maven and the mastermind behind uh, the Instagram account and food blog, Rainbow Plant Life. And we also have Jessie Sheehan, who is a two-time cookbook author. And she has contributed to so many different websites from Food 52 to Chowhound. And you can also find her on social media as well. So um, welcome so much. I'm so glad to have both of you um, today joining us for this podcast. So um, let's just let's get started with Nisha. So um, hi, Nisha. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's like, let's hear your voice. Yes. Um, so I actually met you back in like 2016. Yeah, yep. I remember because it was pre-election and I define everything in my life in, in those terms, pre and post. <laughs> and see, that is like, I think that's very like lawyerly of us because, you know, I think we obviously studied like constitutional law, yeah. something that... I see Jessie shaking her head, right? Something that now it's like, well, all of those things that we learned about, um, I don't know, precedent and <laughs> how that kind of dictates things are now there's like a question mark next to them, yeah. right? Sure. Okay, so it was back in 2016. I remember you, your Instagram handle back then was actually paleo and plants. Yeah, I went through this weird phase where I thought um, I could be both paleo and vegan and turns out it's extremely difficult and I was very much interested in being vegan for ethical reasons and I was like I love tofu and I love beans and I love all these things are not paleo so that was a short-lived experiment um, quickly turned into rainbow plant life which has been going strong now for about three years and yeah 
excited. Yeah, and I think it's so cool because I remember when I met you, I was pretty new to the scene. And I was like, oh my gosh, this girl, um, because I think you sought me out because you were like, hey, I heard you're a lawyer too. Because we were both practicing law at that point. Uh And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so cool. She has 10,000 Instagram followers (laughs) and she's talking to me. And now you have like, is it over 300,000? Yeah, it might be. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in just three years, which is, um, which is pretty insane. But I want to just, I guess, rewind a little bit, right? Because, yeah. you know, you, you published this book this fall, the, um, I want to make sure I get the title correct, <laughs> the Vegan Instant Pot Cookbook. Yeah, it came out in June, actually. But yeah. Okay, sorry. It came out in June. Yeah. The whole summer, I think, has like, yeah. it's been a blur. <laughs> but uh, it came out in June. I actually went to one of the cookbook launch did, parties yes. at Hungry Root. And, um, you know, you... But back in 2016, you were working as a lawyer. You actually, you studied at Harvard Law School. Yep. And so tell me a little bit about like what made you want to go to law school? Uh, So I started law school at 21. So I was still very young, not fully developed human being, I think, at the time. (laughs) Uh, But I'd always been very studious, very academically driven. And I loved learning. I loved learning in law school. I really genuinely enjoyed law school, which is, I think, surprising for most people to hear. Um, And I wanted to go to law school because I had these various um, internships and jobs in college where I was doing legal services for basically people in need, low-income people. And it really showed me like, wow, you can use this very concrete tool called the law and use it to improve people in need, like improve their lives, make a difference. And I'd always wanted to just help people. And so I went to law school um, and practicing law was just a much different thing. So (laughs) going to law school, I think, was a good decision and really helped me become a critical thinker and analyze things from different angles. And um, but practicing law. Yeah. Well, we could talk about that later. And that's so I actually have that on our list to talk about later because I want to get both of you ladies points of view because I completely agree. Right. I see it also as two separate things. There's the going to law school, which Nisha says she enjoyed. I sure as heck didn't. (laughs) Did you, Jesse? I weirdly really liked it. Kind of like Nisha was like pointy intellectual beat little pieces of me. Like we're super excited to be at school, but I hated practicing everything about it. Okay, yeah. So we've got got a lot to talk about. (laughs) But um, I guess first, like, I want to hear about, though, like, so, you know, you were practicing law, you were doing this kind of, like, social justice work. um, And meanwhile, you had this Instagram account that was growing pretty exponentially. So where was it when you uh, made that decision, like, okay, this is more than, like, a hobby, and this is something that I'm going to just, like, dive completely into? So you skipped over the part between law school and the social justice work where I was working in a law firm. Okay. (laughs) Genuinely the worst. Um, But so I had been doing um, kind of like social justice nonprofit work for about a year and I was, I liked it much more than corporate law, but I still never felt quite fulfilled and was coming home every day, anxious, stressed. It was like a very emotionally taxing job. Um, And one of the things that started to disillusion me was how the law was so difficult to actually help people. Back when I was 19 or 20, I was like, this is great. But, you know, in practice, I had seen working at a corporate law firm how easy it was to use the law to keep the status quo in place, to help wealthy corporate actors not get uh, punished by the law for doing clearly illegal things. And then when I was trying to help use the law to, like, help people in need, people who were low income, it was extremely difficult. And so I just became disillusioned with the law being as the law being a tool that I could use to help people. So I started like thinking, what are the things I can do? I tried to like different hobbies. Um, and it always came back to food, which was something I had always loved cooking. So I started food blogging, didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but just kind of stuck with it, started teaching myself a lot about recipe development and photography. And as it started to take off, Um, I don't know if there was an inflection point, like a certain number of followers or whatever it was, but I was like, maybe I can turn this into a job. Um, So I started applying to a few different kind of healthy food places because I was definitely not experienced enough or bold enough to just quit everything and just start on my own at that time. I am very risk averse Um, as a former lawyer, (laughs) not not surprising. Um, But I think that like as the reception to the content I was creating and to the kind of stuff I was putting out there about 
eating more plants, doing better for your body, doing better for the environment, doing better for the animals, as more and more people were coming to um, find that inspiring, I thought like maybe I should just make the jump. And so after doing that for maybe, I don't know, eight months or so, I decided to leave the law. I found a job at Hungry, as you mentioned, just a healthy food startup here in New York. Um, and I started out doing basically everything in the creative world because it was a small startup at the time. Right. Okay. So you're at Hungry Root and then in June, you know, you publish your first book and, and then what? Because you're not at Hungry Root anymore, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I was at Hungry Root for two and a half years and it was a wonderful place to grow and develop and learn things. Um, Towards the end, I focused exclusively on photography, but along the way I also did recipe development and social media and copywriting and all kinds of different things. Um, But all the while, I was working on Rainbow Plant Life, building my blog, my Instagram page. I started a YouTube channel, um, and I loved everything, and I just felt like I couldn't focus enough on one or the other. Um, so I wrote the whole cookbook and photographed it all while I was still working full-time and basically turned into a crazy person who just you know, had no, no time to do anything. Right. How many months, <laughs> like what, what period of that were you working full-time, writing the book, and shooting the book? Uh, I had about five and a half months, so not a long time. So anything is possible, people. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I anything. Don't, I don't, I don't recommend it in terms of like mental health um, and just like being kind to yourself. But I also loved writing the cookbook and it was a really wonderful, immersive process. Um, but after a while, you realize and you have to be honest with yourself that I can't do it all. And that was... Um, why I left Hunger Root is because I was really excited to like continue doing my own work and I just knew that it wasn't sustainable to um, do it all and so I decided to put on my wings and fly. I don't know. Is that a phrase? That's a phrase. I think that's a (laughs) phrase and I love it because I mean one thing I love about your social media like your Instagram stories I feel like I'm like there with you. Like you went to Paris recently and I love the like frames that you use and everything about it. It just feels like um, very personal and I've always gotten that through your social media account whether you had 10,000 followers or like hundreds of thousands of followers. It feels like you're like, they're really connecting with your community. Um, yeah, I think it's, I'm very, very lucky. I I would say I'm very grateful for having that. Um, I think the more you put yourself out there and just do it in a way where you, I don't want to sound corny, but like just be yourself. Um, I think the more it resonates with people and, um, it's a little hard to be super personable when you're mostly posting food because it's like most people are following you because they want to see your recipes and they want to see your food photography. Um, so finding those moments, whether it's in stories or in captions, to bring out a little bit more about yourself and why you're here and what's your why and why you're delivering the kind of content you are to your audience. I love that. Be yourself. Be authentic. <laughs> That's like very, very so original, <laughs> very original, but no, very sage advice, especially when people are always thinking about like, how do I stand out in this like pretty saturated like world of food media or world of food Instagram, right? You ha- you need more than like beautiful, colorful pictures. You need like that, that little je ne sais quoi, that, that's something extra. Um, so Jesse, I want to hear a little bit about your journey. So I met you, I met you earlier this year Mm -hmm. and it was really funny because, um, People, I think for a while, had been telling me, like, oh, you should meet this woman because she was a lawyer, too, and she's a baker, too, because, you know, there are actually a lot of former lawyers who are bakers and who are in the food industry. I want to, like, throw that out there. 100%. Therapy. (laughs) Exactly. It's, like, because we are all so very content in our jobs or in law school that, no. But I also think it's, like, that clinical mind and the, like, the, the, I love a recipe because I like to follow directions. Mm -hmm. I do. And I like to have things laid out for me and to keep to some degree like within the lines. And I think that totally is what the parts of law that I liked relate on some level to the way I think about recipes and why I like baking versus savory. See, that's really interesting because like I obviously love baking too, but those are not the parts (laughs) of the law that I like, which tells you, right, that like there's a whole wide world of baking and a whole wide world of lawyering. So Jesse, tell us a little bit about your world of lawyering. Like how did you end up a lawyer and how the heck did you get out and why? (laughs) So I would would say that the fact that I say that about lawyering and that that's what appealed to me (laughs) is probably one of our first indications that it might have been a mistake for me to go to law school. I mean, like Nisha, 
I loved law school, um, but maybe for the wrong reasons. Um, in short, when I actually when I graduated from college, I were I, this, I'm on like my I don't know fourth career if you count mm-hmm. being a stay at home mom, which I do. Um, Absolutely, that's right? Yeah, yes. Right? So um, when I first graduated from college, I was an actor. So I lived in New York City. I'd gone to college here. I did, um, you know, off-off-Broadway plays and, like, some voiceover work and some regional theater. And I did that for a while until I felt like, you know, it would be really fun to be doing something where the harder you work, the more successful you can be. (laughs) It's not easy as an actor. You get on an airplane and you, like, sitting next to someone and they say, oh, what do you do for a living? And I'd be like, I'm an actor. And they'd be like, oh, ho, 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 what restaurant? The joke being that, of course, you must be a waitress if you were an actress. Um, anyway, long story short, I did that for a few years post, um, post-college post and then sort of really wanted to do something more traditional, wanted to kind of, again, back to this like be-in-the-box idea, like wanted to do something where if I sat on the plane and said, this is my job, people would be like, oh, a lawyer, okay, I get it. Uh, <laughs> I agree. That It's like a very succinct answer, whereas totally. now, like, when what, you ask, what the heck do you tell people yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Totally. So I loved that about <laughs> I love that about being about going to law school. I love just being able to say this is what I'm doing. This is my plan for three years. It was, you know, being an actor in some ways, not unlike being a food person in the sense of there was a lot of it's freelance. So it was really nice to be in law school and then to work. I didn't work for very long as a lawyer, but I liked I, I liked um, I liked the permanence of that. Right. I graduated from law school, I, which I enjoyed, as I said. Um, Wait, can I ask yeah. what you enjoyed about it? Because I, I don't, I want to make sure that our listeners really understand <laughs> that this is like a really unpopular opinion yes, right. to enjoy <laughs> law school, right? Yes, it is. I mean, yeah. if I, you know, if I like squint my eyes really hard and like put on rose-colored glasses, take a couple shots. right? Take a couple of shots. I'll be like, okay, yeah. Like there were aspects that I enjoyed. Like, oh, I enjoyed learning about like election law and the history of, of, I don't know, gerrymandering. But then it's like, if you think hard, it's like what Nisha was kind of saying about this, like defense of the status quo. That's like, that was, I think, probably my biggest philosophical takeaway from law school. I was like, well, there are people in power and they're going to do whatever they can to hold on to that power. That was like my takeaway. Yeah. So maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit of a pessimist, but <laughs> no. But I also think, to your credit, you were thinking much more deeply about it. I will say, and probably you were too than I was. It, for me, it really was like I like school. I like mm-hmm. writing paper. I like to write, obviously. Since and the permanency of a job. The whole thing that's huge a- yeah. appealed to me. So I, 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 yeah. And I really, I don't know if you guys feel this way in your food writing now, but I do feel like I learned to write when yes, I was a exactly. lawyer, and 100%. that was an incredible skill that I feel like translates to, you know, even if I'm writing about cinnamon buns and not, you know, gerrymandering. When I when I turned in my, like, manuscript or kind of in the process of writing my book, my agent was like, no one has ever written a cookbook like this. Like, you're an insane person in, a, like, a good way because I had honed those writing skills. And I'm not saying you have to go to law school to become a good writer, but it for sure helped me become a better writer, think more critically. I also liked... Um, it depends on obviously the law school you go to, but mine was quite social. Um, I met a lot of good friends there. I met my partner there, who I'm still with. Um, I loved learning, as um, I talked about. I, you know, I took a lot of social justice classes mm-hmm. in law school, so I did get that. I got the other side of like, here's how you can use the law in this very abstract theoretical way. Right, not um, just like real estate transactions, right. corporations. Oh. Like, right. You know, like I, I took some <laughs> of those classes. Corporations are people too. Okay. <laughs> And they can pay as much money as they want for an election. Um, I took those classes, but I also took a mix of things. And I was involved in, like, journals and, like, outside of classroom things. So, like, had a full experience. Right. Okay. So, and I just want to touch about what you said about, like, the permanency of a job, right? Because I think Nisha mentioned, like, she's risk-averse. Like, I think (laughs) everyone who goes to law school is risk-averse. I mean, I went, like, before the recession. I think that became even more true, like, during and right after. Like, people who go to law school, it's like we typically go there because we want to know that at the end of the day, we have a job and we can, like, choose what that job will be. And we can, you know, it's all very laid out. I feel like there must have been something inside of me that even, because I went from, like, acting and freelance work to then law and then back, back to, to sort of freelance <laughs> there must be something in me that that 
likes it more than I think I do. But I'll tell you, when I'm like pitching a million people and spending all the time emailing, writing people back and saying like, "What do you, did you like that idea? Okay, let's do a new one. And it's like the constant hustle of trying to get work um, is, ex- is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'm just like, can't I just have a job where like my job is writing for people and I just give them the piece that I've written and call it a day? Yeah, I, I will echo, uh, pitching is exhausting. <laughs> It is. But I mean, obviously you've done something right because you've pitched and you've written two cookbooks. You do. I see your work like all over the Internet on like every food website. Right. So and also like I think it's interesting you are an actor because I did like court. I was like in the courtroom for a hot minute. Like that is it is acting. That is acting. Put your (laughs) acting face on. Put your acting face on. Right. Defend defend your client. Yeah. The funny thing that I felt when I was, because I practiced, I only, I clerked for a year and then I practiced for two years and then I went on maternity leave and I joke that six, for 16 years I've been on maternity leave. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I joke that, um, that every case I got, I wanted to settle. And I would be like, can't we, f-? I hated fighting. I was like, can't we figure out a way to make this work? And the partners would look at me like I was insane. And that was just <laughs> like, it was like, I, I was so ill-fitted in the end for that kind of work and even they would be like but you're an actress get up there you can do your thing we'll fight I was like no thank you no so, fighting I agree I, I had the same experience I thought I was going to be this like litigator in the courtroom like Atticus Finch or something you know <laughs> and I, I don't mind public speaking at all it's not something I struggle with for the most part but it was the adversarial nature and the confrontation and I was particularly in 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 a type of law where everyone I was litigating against were older middle-aged uh white men who often would make that known in obvious ways as if it weren't obvious to my face like saying sexist remarks and you know racist remarks and so that on top of just like me not wanting to engage in confrontation in general I was like <laughs> I you know I don't want to do this it was right. just like, like I don't want so much being thrown in my face you know right and you have to have very thick skin and I will admit that my skin is is on the thin side <laughs> oh yeah oh gosh mine too but I think it's really funny what you said Jesse about like the partners were like we don't want to settle because you know more more hours to bill yes. which is <laughs> which is a whole nother we might be getting like a little yeah. too far into like <laughs> the legal speak of things I was like we needed Ethan here today to be right. like hey girls let's, bring it back to food yeah let's uh let's not get a little too lawyerly but um so I do want to hear about like what made you make that transition I guess from stay-at-home mom to like hey I want to write a cookbook. Totally. And so, how on earth did you do that? So essentially, I was home for about um, two years. I know, I guess almost three years with my kids. I had one little boy, and then when he was one, I had another little boy. And when he was, um, when that little boy was one, so three years into it, I, I totally, I love my kids. I love being <laughs> home with them. But I did reach a point where I wanted something else kind of happening and going on um, in my life that sort of took me out of the home. And I really believe that that can make you a better mom. Um, it's great to be with your kids. And if that's what you want to do, awesome. No judgment. But I also think it can be great to have something else that's either intellectually or creatively feeding you. Um, long story short, I, I, I was not a, um, I loved food. I loved sweets. I've always had like a voracious sweet tooth. But I was not a person who grew up baking and, you know, whisk was not my first word. I didn't like dra- <laughs> drag the chair over and you know, climb up when I couldn't even walk to watch my grandmother. None of this happened. I ate like devil dogs and devil stuffed Oreos as a kid. But something happened when I had the chemistry of having babies. I have no idea, but I got in my head that I really wanted to learn to make sweets. Um, I was eating them a lot um, and I wanted to make them. And uh, I lived in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and I went into a bakery in my neighborhood called Baked, which still exists, and sort of just asked if they would um, take me on um, I offered, you know, unpaid labor for the beginning, um, like almost like an apprenticeship, an internship. Like, will you teach me what you guys are doing? They thought I was insane because what, like, you know, young mom pops into a bakery and says, hey, you want me to work here? Um, and I wrote a note that had like about a million exclamation points. And I, was too, I was like a little too enthusiastic. Right. You're like, I'll be your intern. They'll like, see you at 4 a.m. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, okay. Um, but long story short, they took me on and... Um, 
kind of taught me everything they knew and everything that I did not know. And I um, started like bagging granola and cutting marshmallows. Like it wasn't like they threw me in like, make a Siobhan. <laughs> um, but slowly but surely, as I couldn't sort of, sh- you know, presented myself as someone who kind of knew what they were doing, um, I got more and more responsibility until I became a junior baker and a paid employee. And the owners of Baked started to write cookbooks and needed home bakers to test their recipes because you want to make sure... Um, for those of you who don't know, when you're when you're writing a cookbook and you want to get your recipes tested, it's great to have your friends who are professionals test your recipes for you, but it's also important if people who don't know what they're doing test your recipes. Long story short, I was in the middle. I kind of knew what I was doing, but kind of didn't, <laughs> and started testing recipes for their first book. And then by the second book, I was developing recipes for them, and they went on to write four books. And by the fourth book, I was developing many of their recipes. And that led me to write my own. Which was Icebox Cakes. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) So, um, and I want to get a little bit more into like the nitty gritty of your books. Uh, I just want to rewind for a second um, because Nisha said something interesting, I think, which was like when you were in the courtroom, you know, you were dealing with sexism, right? Which we've all definitely dealt with, especially as attorneys. Uh, You are also dealing with racism, people making all of these comments. Um, Whereas now, you know, it's like you're a vegan, you're kind of like um, an advocate for vegan, healthy cooking, Um, you know, and your Indian heritage, that kind of goes hand in hand, right? So now you're able to kind of like your culture and your background, you're able to like use them in a way that people are really connecting with. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that and like the difference you're, you've kind of gotten from like dealing with like jerks in the courtroom <laughs> to like, I don't want to say jerks on social media. Cause I think most of the people yeah. in our communities are like really supportive. Really yeah. yeah. But like, can you just tell us a little bit about I don't know, like your background and how you bring that to the table in your recipes and your social media. Um, yeah, well, I will say the work that I do now is 1,000 times more positive. <laughs> so it just like feels better. People are nice. People respect like, you know, the contributions you bring to the table regardless of, you know, what you look like or your gender, things like that. Um, But yeah, my family's from India and I grew up, um, my mom would cook most nights of the week. I would say we probably eat Indian food six six nights a week. Um, And I actually have to admit that I didn't like it as a child because, bless my mom, she was a working mom and she would make fairly simple, basic things um, every day. And like, give us an example. I'm very curious. Yeah, so the, the standard meal was like what we call like roti dal bath shak. So it's roti, which is like an Indian flatbread, shak, which is like a vegetable. It could be anything, but um, it was often just like something super quick that, you know, my mom didn't have that much time to put together. Um, Dal, which is like lentil, kind of Indian lentil, anywhere from a soup to a kind of puree creamy thing, Um, and rice. And I love dal now, um, but I don't think that, like, a six-year-old has the best taste buds. I didn't necessarily <laughs> appreciate it. And we were eating also the same kind of stuff every day. Um, my mom's actually a fantastic cook and makes amazing, more interesting cuisine today. But growing up, I was like, I'm tired of this. And also um, growing up with mostly non uh Indian people, mostly white people who are bringing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to school and bologna sandwiches and things like that. I, as a child was like, I want that. Like I want to go to Burger King and I want to go to McDonald's. And we did do that like for, you know, after school and lunch and things like that. But when we came home, it was always Indian food. Um, and it took me a really long time, like 20 something years to finally come back to my roots and be like, wait, Indian food is delicious. Like what have I been doing this whole time? And so now, um, whenever I go back to visit, I like watch my mom in the kitchen she has she doesn't follow recipes I don't think I've ever met an Indian auntie who follows recipes they're just like oh you need a pinch of this and like pick up their hand in a fist as if I'm supposed to know what that means um but learning how to cook from her not like recipes but just how you start off a dish to make it really aromatic and flavorful and like when you add the cilantro versus when you add like the cumin seeds and things like that. And so there's about seven or so recipes in my book that are Indian inspired and I for sure would not have been able to like come up with them um, without my mom's help um, and like her advice and things like that. Um, And I think just like growing up as a person, I never was like ostracized. I don't want to make my 
childhood seem like difficult or horrible. It was wonderful. But just growing up as someone who was a little bit on the outside of kind of everyone else, um, I think it just gives you more time to observe um, and just to notice how society works and notice mm. how people operate in that society. And I think part of that um, also inspired me to want to help people because I felt like there were so many opportunities to make the world a better place. And so now I'm not using the law to do that, but I think, at least I hope, um, I'm able to make at least a small part of the world a little bit better um, by inspiring people to eat more plants and to um, kind of live more fulfilled lives. All right. I love that. So we're going to take a quick break, but we will be back soon uh, to talk a little bit more with Jesse and Nisha. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in Northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Hi, this is Valerie Lomas with Why Food Podcast. Uh, just a reminder, we are celebrating our 100th episode today. So we've got our supersized episode. We've been speaking with Nisha Vora, the author of the Vegan and Scent Pot Cookbook and mastermind behind the social media platform Rainbow Plant Life, and Jesse Sheehan, two-time cookbook author of the um, uh, Icebox Cakes, that's by Chronicle Books, and also The Vintage Baker, which is one of the Washington Post's top books of 2018. Uh, so Jesse, before we took our break, you were giving us a little bit of insight into how you went from actress to law student to attorney to stay-at-home mom to just literally knocking on the door of a bakery and saying, can I help out? helping them with cookbooks and then writing your own cookbooks. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about both of your cookbooks, Icebox Cakes and The Vintage Baker. Um, I, I have a copy of The Vintage Baker. It's a beautiful cookbook. It's kind of like a love letter to like the history of baking in this country. Like, can you tell us just a little bit about your inspiration behind each of these sure. books? So Icebox Cakes, to be fair, was not my idea, although it like feels like it was my idea because basically Icebox Cakes are like, I adore them. I think they are like a delicious and uh, uh, the most delicious and yummy of treats. And for those who don't know, basically an Icebox Cake is cookies and whipped cream, in its most basic form, cookies and whipped cream, in the refrigerator, literally the, the cold, the chill of the refrigerator um, almost cooks the cookies, as it were, or softens them, and they become cake-like. So once you put those, or you put pudding and graham crackers, same thing happens. The pudding um, is absorbed, the graham crackers absorb the pudding, and it becomes cake-like, and they are divine. And that particular book was someone else's idea, um, 
And she said to me, well, do you want to write this book on icebox cakes? And I was like, hello, yes, I want to write a book on icebox cakes. And so that's how that book came to be. Um, and that was about 25 recipes for different kinds of icebox cakes. In hindsight, it's, I worry sometimes that it's a little, people think icebox cake and they think simple. And in this particular book, it wasn't so simple because you made everything from scratch. You made your own cookies, you made your own pudding, you made your own whipped cream, you made your own ganache and caramel. And that's all well and good. But I will say in my own kind of um, journey in, in food and in sweets, I like things a lot more simple now. I probably wouldn't write a book like that now. I would want to, I would want people to be able to make things a little bit more simply than that, maybe giving both options. Yeah, I know I've seen in some of your freelance work, like with the Washington Post, you've got this great concept, One Dirty Bowl. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Is that kind sure. of like stemming from, um, you know, you, you've you had all of this experience with like, all right, we're making homemade caramel and homemade ganache and homemade pastry cream and homemade cookies. And I definitely like do that often in my <laughs> recipes. And I'm like right. currently doing that in the book I'm writing, but I'm trying to throw in some simple stuff as well. Right. But tell me about this like one dirty bowl concept. Sure. Is that maybe like you balancing motherhood with like, I don't know, just like all the commitments we have going on today? Yeah, I think it's a combo platter of yes, wanting things to be simple because there's like a lot of busyness around us. But I think it's also truly I'm realizing about myself. It's sort of what I like best. I'm not like a project baker. Like I don't mm. love like it's Saturday morning. I'm going <laughs> to go to the grocery store for an hour and a half because it's going to be five grocery stores. And then I'm going to come home and make this really interesting treat or or what have you. Um, I tend to be someone who's excited if like, oh, I want to make this and look, everything's in the pantry. Um, that is sort of more exciting and more fun for me. And I think the... Um, so the, the concept of this Just One Dirty Bowl, which is, um, you know, basically one bowl baking recipes with some kind of tips and tricks for converting recipes um, that you already have into one bowl, because um, a lot of recipes can be kind of easily simplified. Um, but it's this, yeah, I saw sort of generally a trend in, you know, people don't want to do their, you know, the, the New York Times having a piece like, you know, um, 36 sheet pan dinners because you're the one who has to do the dishes at the end of the night and who wants to do that. I mean, obviously I'm bastardizing the title of the article, but that idea. Right. Nobody wants to do dishes. <laughs> no, literally. It's the, it's the only thing I don't like about my job. Right. And, and it's so funny because... Um, so I, I moved like a year ago and I have a dishwasher now. It's like a tiny little New York City dishwasher. It's like probably a third the size of a normal dishwasher. But I learned that I can put dishes in there without washing them. Yes. And they come out clean. And I feel like my life, like personally and definitely professionally, has changed. Yes. <laughs> my, mom, my mom tries to tell me that you have to wash them first. And I'm like, it's called a dish. Washer. Washes I don't know what my problem is, but I'm like your mom. Oh, maybe I'm like, a, I, I, is, mom it a, is it a mom thing? Yeah. <laughs> maybe because I'm like, we might like I see my kids with the dishes in with like the cereal stuck to the bowl. I'm like, oh no, no, you can't do that. Yeah, but you can. Like, yes. <laughs> and I think it, it's maybe because like I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, dishwashers were not as powerful. Mm -hmm. But if like my little tiny New York City apartment dishwasher like can wash like my pot of caramel without like, okay, mind you, it's sugar and water, but still mm -hmm. it can like wash all of my dishes with yeah. like no work for me. Yeah. Like, yes. Can I also <laughs> just say for a plug for Nisha's book, that is why the Instant Pot oh, is yes. so brilliant. I was thinking of that when you said one bowl. I am a huge Instant Pot fan in my savory cooking. I've only done a little bit of sweets cooking, although I'm going to get my hand on Nisha's book and make <laughs> her vegan cheesecake. But, um, but that's what I love about the Instant Pot, which I'm sure you do too. In general, Sometimes they make you do something on the stovetop, but then I get upset. But mostly, <laughs> everything happens in that pot. Yeah, it's super convenient. Thanks, Jesse. Let's definitely, I want to talk about like this instant pot cookbook, right? Because uh, unless you've been under a rock for what, the past two years, like I, I think everyone else is like completely in like enjoying like the land of instant pot and learning how to use like pressure cookers and like slow, fast cooking. Yeah. So, um, do you have like, what's your relationship with your instant pot? Cause I know some people like, it's like a very personal thing. Well, I think the question should be, what is your relationship with your instant pot? Because I have two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I have a whole cookbook on it, so obviously I've used it a lot. Um, but outside of like recipe testing for the book, um, I use it 
maybe not every day, but at least every other day, sometimes every day, um, because I'm vegan, I eat a ton of beans and grains and, and because I'm recipe testing all the time for other things, sometimes I just want simple staples in my fridge. And so I don't want to soak beans overnight on this like stove and wait for them to boil and stir them. And so I just pop them in my instant pot. And so I always have lentils and beans and grains and some sort of vegetables in my fridge. And so then I can just throw together quick meals and add some condiments and fun little pizzazz things on top so I can have very easy meals. So I use it for that all the time. And then also for things like curries and soups, I feel like it's so much easier because it'll take like six to 12 minutes in the instant pot. And yes, it takes time to come to pressure, but like all that time you get to hang out and do your thing, go for a walk, play with your kids, watch Netflix, whatever it is, and just let the instant pot do the magic because it the high pressure of the pressure cooking just really like transforms everything and like flavors everything really well so it's super useful yeah I I love what you're saying about the magic of it and I see Jessie like nodding her head and it's it's really funny because like I'm I have a confession I feel like I've lived vicariously through other people using instant pots I have never used an instant pot it's it's fine so Jesse, yes. like, tell me. I'm going to. Well, I got I got really excited when Nisha was talking because I love my instant pot, but also <laughs> because um, uh, my husband's a vegetarian, and I actually wrote a piece for Epicurious. I, I can't remember when, maybe a year and a half or uh, ago now, about um, how it. I, I wanted to call it how the instant pot saved my marriage, oh. but they didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's they, fantastic. Isn't that good? But it was. I want to read that. Okay. New, well, York, you can, New York Times Modern Love Column pitched that. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that's a great idea. But anyway, it was this <laughs> idea that the beauty of. I mean, I, you would think that I was being paid by Instapot, and I wish I was. <laughs> but the beauty of the Instapot is also exactly what Nisha said. I can make beans and rice for my husband, but because I work from home, I could do that in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I make this. I made it two nights ago, this incredible, like, yummy spaghetti bolognese in the Instapot for my kids who eat meat, and so do I, where, like, you're literally putting the dry pasta in with the meat with it's basically the secret ingredient it's just a can of tomato paste I know there are haters out there who are going to be like that's not bolognese but you you feel me I mean like you can really do it all right and you can do it your way so take that purist bolognese purist or right. curry purist or whoever the the rule makers are about what's what <laughs> um, so I w- before like we wrap up I want to talk about money Right. I think when people hear attorney, you know, and they hear like, oh, my God, you used to be an attorney. They automatically like they see do- not not just stability, but they see the dollar signs because being an attorney can be a very lucrative career, like especially if you're at a big law firm or you work in corporate or you work in house at a company. So um, I know like when I when I walked away from my job, I think I kind of like walked away from like this one future that I envisioned for myself. And, um, you know, I, I did the kind of like jump off the cliff and, and see if I found my wings, but it's still like just a different way of looking at the future. So I just, I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts about like the money side of things, or if you have any pointers you want to share with someone listening, thinking about making that transition from whatever their job is now into something that might be more of their passion and in the creative I mean, I would just say there's going to be a sacrifice. No, absolutely no question. I mean, I I don't have um, a $300,000 following. I mean, 300,000 followers following. Um, And I know that the more you can grow a platform, obviously, the more you can benefit financially from it. Is that fair to say, Nisha? Sure, but you have to like do things besides uh, of collect abs- the yeah, followers, no, right? One, like, 100%. I wish that the follower number right. just was like, oh, now you have a bank right. account. Like, right. a check in your bank account. Right. Um, you, you can certainly use it to capitalize right. on All things. I was saying in the, yes. in the vein of trying to advise people like what um, Valerie was saying, I would say one thing to keep in mind is, yes, if you quit your job, whether it's being a lawyer or something else that pays you lucratively to try to be a food writer, a cookbook writer, recipe developer, et cetera, um, I'm here to tell you, if you didn't know, that a lot of that does not pay very well. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's you, you do it because you love it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did work at a corporate firm for two years. And yes, it pays a lot. But I had never been less happy. And um, I'm very grateful to my parents for raising me in a way where, like, money was never 
that important or that not important. It was just like, we have money enough to like do the things that we need to do, but it was never like your goal is to like make a lot of money when you grow up. It was your goal was to like stay educated, do something important, things like that. And so I never grew up and I still don't, I think of money as important, right? You like have to buy things and capitalism and all the things. But like, (laughs) luckily I never grew up thinking that like that was my goal in life to make a lot of money. So I had a lot of money when I worked at a law firm and it like didn't, didn't, did me no good. I was working too many hours to actually enjoy it. And, um, I like the things that I used the money on, like fancy dinners and taking a cab everywhere. Like, I don't, they didn't make me happy. They were just like fancy things. Um, so that's one point. The other point is, and again, second apology for being super cliche, but what I've learned along the way is that you really do only have one life. And so if you're not doing something that makes you excited in the morning, like what's the point? And then that can be a bit harsh to hear for some people, but money is never going to give you that excitement and that feeling of like, my life was worth living. My life is super exciting and I love what I'm doing and I feel like I'm making it worth it. So the third point if money is a concern, move out of New York City, which is probably something. That- yeah, I mean, <laughs> New York City is like hashtag make money, right? It's like the rat race. I think like the currency of this city is literally like how much money you're making. Whereas like in other cities, like the currency, like you're from California, Nisha. I, I'm not sure where you're from. I'm from Southern California, not okay. anywhere fancy, but. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I lived in LA for seven years and like the currency was appearances. It was like, what can people see on the outside? Like, what kind of car are you driving? What do you look like? And that, like, got you access. Whereas, like, in New York City, I really think it is, like, how much money you're making. So well, you like, have to make a lot of money for the most part. It's hard to it's hard to live here. Especially <laughs> if you want, like, the tiniest of dishwashers. Yes. Like, you still, like, yes, you have to you have to have some way to actually pay the rent. Like, like the literal rent of being in this city. Um but yeah, I think if you want to do something creative and you live in a really expensive place, like think about moving just because it opens so many opportunities. Like if you want to launch that podcast, if you want to write your own cookbook, if you want to spend a year building some app, like you're going to be much more able to do that on your own terms if you don't have to pay a ton of money in lifestyle rent, things like that. Absolutely. Agreed. Or- get a bunch of roommates <laughs> like your parents that is like that is like a, a very real thing um all right i i do have one more thing i want to touch up on and then we're going to end with like rapid fire questions <laughs> but i saw jesse last night at this trend panel where we were talking about um trends that we saw for next year and i know you had some thoughts on a few things did you want to share those or um which thought did I did kind you of want? throw you off? You did. <laughs> um, I well, I thought the I thought it was an excellent evening, and it was very... at Les Dom de Scoffier hosted um, hosts this event every year called the Next Big Bite, and it's about trends in the food industry. Yes, I thought it was I thought it was interesting, and I thought that um, people were felt very passionately about um, the things that they saw as trends. I I got a little, I think sometimes things were a little um, fumbled and I wasn't sure. I didn't come away being able to say, like people said to me, oh my gosh, what are the trends? And I was like, um, I think people don't like charcoal. But it was, a, right. do you agree? It was well, a little... We definitely did talk about the Instant Pot, right? Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, that's one thing, which is, and that's like a, a trend we can all get behind, right? Like yeah. people putting like good quality food on the table fast. Because yeah. I think that's one thing that we all feel like in this industry and as cookbook authors and recipe writers and social media folks like we just I just want people to cook mm-hmm. or and I want people to bake specifically actually you know what the best thing was Valerie um I mean you guys were amazing on the panel but the um the Jessica Harris taped was it yeah, like her, yeah. A key, not a keynote is what you start with the clo- it was like the closing remarks yeah um yeah Jessica B Harris uh who's she's like one of the she's a national treasure one of like the phenomenal food thinkers of our time and you know she she graced us with her with 10 points that you know she saw the world kind of evolving to well well, the food world evolving to or what she hoped it would yeah hoped to it would as well yeah and I'll just say one of those things was like sustain like the focus on sustainable food which Mm -hmm. I think is it's probably very important to all of us. Yes. But uh, 
All right, closing up really quickly with rapid fire questions. Jesse, what's yes. your favorite fall vegetable? Um, <laughs> kale. Okay. Nisha. <laughs> no, I mean, that's no, that's great. I'm just like, oh. I, I, I don't think of it as a fall vegetable. I know. I don't think. I, I, I literally just thought of what's in, my, what's in my vegetable drawer, and that came out of my that's mouth. That's a good thing to have in your vegetable drawer. Uh, Nisha, favorite book? Like, not necessarily a cookbook, just favorite oh. book. Um, Throwing curveballs out here I know. today. Okay, this is really depressing. It's called Nothing to Envy, and it's about people from North Korea who've escaped. Oh, I'm that sorry. sounds it brought, awesome. It's, it's incredible. It's like you will learn so much about North Korea. Awesome. All right, Jesse, the yes. one kitchen utensil you can't live without. Um, I have this Silipat mat that I like roll out dough on and need biscuits. On, you know, it, I use it for everything, and so then I don't have to get my counter really dirty again. No dishes. I mean, or no dirty mess. Um, and I love it. Okay, awesome. So, Nisha, where can our listeners find you if they haven't been paying attention? Rainbow Plant Life yes. on social media. Yep. Where else can they find you in your work? Um, on Instagram at Rainbow Plant Life, as you said. YouTube, Rainbow Plant Life. My blog, rainbowplantlife.com. And then my cookbook, the Vegan Instant Pot Cookbook, you can find on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or a couple different places. Um, but Amazon's probably the easiest place to get it. Yeah, and you can probably check out her website for more locations yes. for the book. And Jesse, where can our listeners find you? Um, they can. Your hello, listeners. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Jesse Sheehan Bakes or at Jesse Sheehan Bakes on Instagram. Also on Facebook. Also, that's my Facebook page and my website, Jesse Sheehan Bakes, as well. And my books, the Ice Icebox Cakes and the Vintage Baker, um, can both be found on Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books. And I'm Valerie Lomas. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Foodie in New York or on my blog, foodieinnewyork.com. And this is Why Food Podcast. We are also on social at Why Food Podcast. And you can find us on Heritage Radio Network's website. Thank you so much for listening to our 100th supersized episode with Nisha Vora and Jesse Sheehan. And we will see you next week. Why Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>